This is Ashley from the editing booth. It is 3.45 on Monday, August 8th, the day before this episode is scheduled to release, and we have just heard the sad news that Olivia Newton-John has passed away at age 73. According to CNN, Dame Olivia Newton-John passed away peacefully at her ranch in Southern California this morning, surrounded by family and friends. We ask that everyone please respect the family's privacy during this very difficult time. Her husband, John Easterling, wrote in a statement on the singer's verified Instagram account. Olivia has been a symbol of triumphs and hope for over 30 years, sharing her journey with breast cancer. End quote. As this continues to develop, Candy and I made the decision to go ahead and release this episode in her honor. While not under the circumstances we intended, we hope it will serve as a celebration of the joy, laughter, and music Olivia brought to the world. John Travolta said it best on his Instagram. Quote, My dearest Olivia, you made all of our lives so much better. Your impact was incredible. I love you so much. We will see you down the road and we will be together again. Yours from the moment I saw you and forever. Your Danny, your John. End quote. Olivia, from the bottom of our hearts, we are all hopelessly devoted to you. Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hey, Ashley. Hello, Candy. We are in the theme of back to school, yes. and I thought I would hit you with a question. Oh, boy. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. What are some movies? Or plays or series, it doesn't matter, television shows, that you can think of that were set in a school. Hmm. Stranger Things. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Stranger Things was set in a school. Rudy, the yes. football movie Rudy was set in a school. I'll throw some out too. Breakfast okay. Club. Oh, Breakfast Club, yes. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. For sure. Friday Night Lights, the series. I watched all of that. Did you see that? No, I didn't. Oh, it I was missed so that good. one. One of my favorites is Never Been Kissed. I love that movie. Do you love the end? It's one of those films that you have to watch the full film yes. in order to get that final scene. And it is so satisfying with that Beach Boys song. Oh, it's it so absolutely, good. It absolutely, every time it would get me. Yes. That ending was just... It's perfect. Yes. I loved that movie. It's it was sweet. just so fun. We need to do a series sometime about just good old-fashioned romantic movies. I'm putting my request in now. Okay. That's what I want for Christmas, Candy. Yeah. A series on romantic movies. <laughs> well, there are lots. I mean, we could go on for days. I threw a few more down as I was thinking about it, like Mean Girls and October oh, yeah. Sky. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there, there are a lot. But I'll ask another question. Mm-hmm. So why? Why do you think so many movies or TV shows or plays are set in schools? I think because there's a massive amount of the population that's going through that at any given time. And mm-hmm. it's so it appeals to the now. 
I agree. A long time ago, I went on, this is way pre-marriage, I went on a date with a guy who wanted to be a comedian. We did not hit it off. (laughs) But (laughs) I do recall that he shared in terms of material, Mm -hmm. he said there are certain things that appeal to everybody. Mm -hmm. There are certain shared experiences everybody has, like like childhood stories or, you know, sibling stories. School's one of those. Like everybody can relate to school. It's a big part of your life. Yeah. At least 12 years. Exactly. And there are patterns, like certain events or certain feelings or certain things that everybody can relate to. So with that in mind... I thought today we might talk about one of those movies. I know. That's why I couldn't think of anything because all I'm thinking of is Grease is the word. (laughs) (laughs) So I couldn't think of any other high school things. Like Grease, Grease. It's all Grease. (laughs) So as Ashley's already alluded, we're talking about Grease because it is one of the most well-known movies that is set in a school. Mm -hmm. On the American Film Institute website, they have a ranking of their top 25 movie musicals of all time. And Grease is number 20. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. And by the way, Chicago is number 12. And according to this December 2021 article that was published on The Wrap, it ranks Grease in the top 10 of the highest grossing movie musicals of all time. So it's been very successful over the years and a lot of people know it and and love it. Mm -hmm. So I thought... Well, let's talk about Greece today. So it tell- is the word it is. <laughs> that, you've, that you've heard. <laughs> so what's your experience with Greece? Like how many times oh have you seen gosh. it? Oh my and- gosh, untold amount yeah. of times. But it's been a long time since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. But I watched it a bunch when I was a teenager, yeah. young adult in that area, just enough to know the songs by heart, know yes. everything by heart. Because it had a great soundtrack. It did. Yeah. Funny story. Mm-hmm. I've seen it a million times mm-hmm. too. And a lot of those viewings were because it seemed like when I was growing up or over the years, it has shown on TV a thousand times. Have you noticed that? Like no, it- because I don't get, I don't have cable. So I've lived in the country and I don't have that like regular TV kind of stuff. Well, even pre-cable, it, really? like, it seemed like it would show a lot on like regular TV back in the day. Maybe, maybe that's where I saw it a bunch too. Well, so a funny story is... <laughs> It also came out in 1978, which was pre-PG-13 ratings as part of the system. Yeah. You know, the movie system. And of Mm -hmm. course, you don't show a lot of movies in school anyway, but we were going on a field trip and it was an an extended trip. Actually, I think it was eighth graders because they're the ones who got to take the trips. But anyway, we said to the kids, hey, you can bring some movies to pass the time on the bus. Okay. They have to be, you know, appropriate. Yeah. PG or G. And so I remember being on the bus and somebody popped in a Grease video. Which just gives you a whole new look when you're watching it with eighth graders right, right? <laughs> and so it, it's rated pg is and it? i re- yes it is? because it was pre pg 13 rating i'm sure that it's now rated pg 13 but it started playing and i remember being like oh no 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 no, no. i don't i don't recall this being in this movie i don't I, oh, that's oh, the thing oh. yeah and the teacher the amnesia <laughs> that we experience with what the content of greece actually is yeah is phenomenal as i recall we were kind of the teachers were kind of like oh why don't we switch movies guys and, and you know they didn't care so let's talk about how greece came to be yes and i know you sent me a video that you found I did. on youtube just recently the sanitization of greece i think it was yeah. called. and i'm sure that was just one person 
person's, mm-hmm. you know, opinion, but mm-hmm. it had some interesting thoughts that I'm going to mention in just a second. To kind of pull this together, though, in that video, he did talk a bit about the original version yes. of Greece. And so feel free to like jump in okay. here as you remember some things or as you have notes that you want to include. But the idea came from these two fellas. One was an advertising copywriter named Jim Jacobs, and the other was a high school art teacher named Warren Casey. And the two were both involved in this amateur theater group in Chicago back in the early 1960s. So we're back in Chicago. That's that's right. Mm-hmm. So Jim Jacobs, and back in high school, he himself had been somewhat of a greaser. That's how he would have classified himself. Whereas Warren Casey was more of a nerd or the you know, someone who, character. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He was more studious. Mm-hmm. So these two fellas, one night at a cast party late at night, they're listening to Led Zeppelin and they're talking about all the great old songs from the 1950s, which, you know, seem to have, you know, gone to the wayside. Mm-hmm. And this led to them coming up with this idea of, you know what, hey, we should write and create this stage musical that focuses on these mischievous high schoolers from the 1950s. And we should have like this great soundtrack. And they even decided they'll call it Grease because, you know, that is just how that era was. You had greasy hair, you had greasy engines, you had greasy food. Why not Grease? Oh, cute. That's cute. And I love the wide-eyed, innocent naivete of a person who's like, why don't we write a musical? (laughs) We should do this. We should do it. We could do this. I love it. Well, and they did. I know. That's how you do it. You're wide-eyed and innocent. Then you get older and you're like, I'm too tired to do any of that. Well, these two men, they did collaborate. They created the story, the lyrics, and the music. And this play that they put together was a little edgy. It it had profanity. It Mm -hmm. had some, they called it raunchy teenage antics. Mm -hmm. It had some sexual content, but it also had a lot of fun and it had a lot of songs. And it opened on February 5th, 1971 in a former trolley barn in Chicago. Interesting. And it was very well received. Audiences loved it. By 1972, it was playing off-Broadway at the Eden Theater. And that is where movie producer Alan Carr saw it one night. And he loved it. And it was, again, the audiences went crazy for it. It He probably loved it, but he also loved how the audience loved it. Absolutely. If he's a producer, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for something that's resonating with an audience. Absolutely. The show got some nods. It was nominated for several Tonys in 1972. And by June of 1972, it had already moved to Broadway. Like it it had, it fast-tracked. It did. Now, a comment that was made in the video that you referenced was that in moving it from Chicago to Broadway, where it had a broader mm, audience, a different audience, stuff. they did, in their words, kind of, you said, sanitize, you know, or tone it down a little bit. Yeah, but they also toned out local references. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, they had to change a lot of the Chicago references, for sure. And Alan Carr, when deciding that he thought it would make a great movie, he immediately also thought they were going to have to tone it down even mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. and he wanted to build up this relationship between the lead characters, you know, Danny and Sandy more. Yeah. That was, he really wanted that romance to come out. So that was a decision that he made. You know, if we do this movie, here's a direction that I would need to take with it. So he tried to get the rights. He did. But Paramount um, didn't have a lot of confidence in it. They only allowed him $6 million to make the movie, which was not a lot. It sounds like a lot. I feel like it's a lot. I feel like if somebody gave me $6 million to make a movie, I'd be pretty thrilled. But yes, I understand the concept of (laughs) the context of that's not a lot. Not not a lot for him. They hired somebody to help write an adapted screenplay. Mm -hmm. 
And if it had passed, this would not be the Grease movie that we know today. It would have been really different because this original proposal would have had Danny Zuko as a busboy and gas station attendant. And he would have been doing a song called Gas Pump Jockey. Oh. They would have had Paul Lind. I like Paul Lind. Do you know him from, yeah. uh, what is, we know him from, we know him. Let's see, he's on, what was that game bye show? Bye. Well, he was, he was, on, he was on Bye Bye Birdie. Bye Bye Birdie and Hollywood uh, Squares, but Hollywood not, Squares. Was yeah. it Hollywood Squares? I that think so. Called. And then he was actually Uncle Arthur on Bewitched. And he was Templeton in Charlotte's Web. Oh, nice. He was the rat. Well, he would have been, had this passed, he would have been Rydell High's principal. Aw. Donnie Osmond would have been the teen angel. Okay. The Beach Boys would have been brought in to do the garage production number Grease Lightning. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there would have even been a scene that had Paul Lynn dressed up doing something as Carmen Miranda. That didn't pass, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, another idea that they played with in Nixed was at one point the producers had the idea to make the whole movie an animated movie. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing that. Mm-hmm. I do not like that. And that's why they settled on making it a live action film, but they had that animated Animated scene in the opening. Yeah, in the opening. Well, ultimately, the screenplay they used was written by Bronte Woodard. And as they planned, they had toned it down a bit in terms of, you know, some of the romantic elements and the language, but they did bring out the love and the romance between Sandy and and Danny. One source that I read said that they felt like the movie version was also more upbeat and hopeful than Mm -hmm. the original play, that Mm -hmm. it almost seemed like like those characters didn't have as much hope in their future, Mm -hmm. you know? that it was just a little darker mm-hmm. I, I think also probably the difference when they when they quote unquote sanitized it is a lot of the kids in the film were all talk mm. and they weren't as tough as they pretended to be that's true and that's I true. think in the original they probably were as tough as they were acting oh that's a good point yeah one other change that we've not yet mentioned is that they changed the setting because originally Ashley's already alluded to this it was set in an urban Chicago setting mm-hmm. it was based on William Howard Taft High School okay And then they moved it to a more suburban area because that's the type of high school that the director had attended. So he would understand it. Yeah. So he could, he could kind of relate to that. That makes sense. It also caused some, some song changes. Just a small note was in the play version in their song, Look at Me, I'm Sandra D." there was a reference to Salmoneo, but he was murdered in 1976. Mm. So they changed the reference to Elvis for the film. You know, that line that says, Elvis, Elvis, let me be, keep that pelvis far from me. Mm-hmm. But that's my note. Do you have it? Tell them what happened. The day they filmed that, Elvis died. Yes, August 16th, 1977, yeah. which yep. is really eerie. eerie. Yeah. There were some bigger changes with the songs too. So several from the original play weren't even performed in, mm-hmm. in the movie. Freddie My Love, which was a song that Marty had sung, that was gone. Another song called those Mooning. Magic, there were several. Yeah, those magic changes, which they play kind of in the background, but mm-hmm. it's not a featured song. Exactly. So four new songs were added at the last minute to the original score, including the title song, which was written by Barry Gibb and sung by Frank. Frankie Valley, and then they put in a new solo number for John Travolta, which was Sandy, and mm-hmm. they put in two songs for Olivia Newton John, written by her longtime songwriter John Farrar, which was Hopelessly Devoted to You mm-hmm. and that duet, You're the One That I Want. Ah. And of course, obviously, some of those song changes were because of casting, which we're going to talk about in just a second. Okay. But one other note that I'll bring out is that in that same video we've referenced a few times, they had some tidbits from the 
original writers and mm-hmm. they commented that their play, the original play, had songs for like a lot of the principals. It was more of an ensemble. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, different characters had songs. Each whereas of them had a moment. in the movie we end up with John Travolta and Olivia Newton John getting a lot. Yeah. And then Rizzo gets her big moment. Yes. Which she had to fight for. Did she? Yes, they were going to cut that. Aww. And Stalker Channing made a case that if you didn't leave that in, her character development really was was going to be lacking. Oh, I'm glad she fought for that. She did. And, and they left it in. So moving on to the casting, Paramount originally wanted Henry Winkler, of the Fonz from Happy Days. That makes perfect be, sense. Right. But he wouldn't do it because he thought he would be typecast. He was already the ah. Fonz. And if he took on that Danny character. He would have. He's yeah. right. Well, he already kind of was. Yeah. Yeah. And then to find Sandy. There was there was a lot that happened here. The director, Randall Kleiser, he had roomed with George Lucas in college. And so one of the things he did was he watched some dailies from Star Wars to see if maybe Carrie Fisher would oh. be a fit. But Carrie he, Fisher feels more like a Rizzo to me. I don't know her well enough. And that was a point he made was like oh. he didn't feel like he saw enough to be able to judge her ability mm. to sing or I dance. I guess I'm or even, thinking of just her real personality. Right. She just seems so strong and independent. I don't see her being the sweet Mm-hmm. I mean, but that is acting. She could have acted it, but right. just in immediate, like, that's not who I would think of. Yeah. Well, so he kept looking because mm-hmm. he wasn't sure, you know, if she could pull it off. They considered Susan Day of the Partridge family, mm-hmm. but the filmmaking team really wanted Marie Osmond, who was big at this time. Oh. But she turned it down. She did not like the way Sandy transformed at the end from kind of that wholesome girl to, I guess you would call it kind of the bad girl Mm -hmm. image. Mm -hmm. And so she she declined. Okay. Yeah. So ultimately, they picked Olivia Newton-John because, again, the producer, Alan Carr, ends up sitting across from her at a dinner party one night, and he was taken with her. He liked her. and As you would be. If I sat across from her, too, I'd be taken with her. I'm taken with her watching Grease. I'm like, you're so pretty. <laughs> You're so pretty and you could sing so good. Come on, do this. Yeah. But and John Travolta was also, you know, he was behind her 100%. Oh yeah. Now, she had some concerns. She was afraid her music career was taken off mm-hmm. and she thought if this movie does not do well, this yeah. could actually be a bad thing for me. So yeah. she she wasn't sure and she was also concerned about her age. Yeah. Because most sources say she was 29, one said 28, but John Travolta is 23. Oh, he and, is a lot younger. Okay. And they're both playing high school oh, you sure. know, yeah. students. Yeah. So she was afraid that she might look too old in general, but also a little too old for him. And, you know, John Travolta, again, he was pushing hard. And so finally, you know, she did agree to do it. She could not do an American accent. So they had to make the change. Sandy changed from Sandy Dombrowski, an American, to Sandy Olson, who was from Australia. Yeah. So they just kind of rewrote that for her. Now, she's not the only one who had an age concern. Stalker Channing was actually the oldest. 33, right? 33. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She still looks amazing. She did. She looked great. And they really liked her acting and they Mm -hmm. really wanted to cast her. But the director ended up this is kind of I don't know this feels a little wrong but he did what he called the crow's feet test during auditions did you see that he said he checked for crow's feet before each take or something not each take but each audition person he just if they smiled to see if they had crow's feet yeah he's quote I would get up close to them and see if they had any crow's feet around their eyes and they would show they were beyond the surreal age that we had determined would work high school kids could not have crow's feet that's, that's true. what he said that's true but it seems very icky yeah it just feels weird 
But he said that, you know, stalker Channing passed. So did the actress who played Jan, who was prematurely gray and mm-hmm. had to dye her hair for the show. But they did comment in the Vanity Fair article I read that for some of these older actors, especially the ladies, they would use soft lenses oh. to try to make them look younger Okay, in the movie. So before I keep going through casting, do you have any you want to share? About the casting? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I this is this is off topic, but I remember when Dear Evan Hansen was turned from a play into a movie. Yes. When they revealed that they were going to cast Ben Platt in the role that he had originated on Broadway, someone said, Ben Platt playing himself in the high school production, and they showed a picture of Stalker Channing from Greece because he was oh. so much older. Yeah, and I just, I don't know. Thinking about it and watching it and loving this film, I cannot imagine anyone else playing these parts. Mm-hmm. I at the time that I watched it I was too young to realize that they weren't high schoolers mm-hmm. and now that I know they're not high schoolers I, I appreciate their art and their acting abilities and it does not bother me mm-hmm. that they're not high schoolers because I think they were the perfect people to play it yeah and for dear Evan Hansen I haven't seen that I've heard the music but he was wonderful right in the play and the song and who cares we all right. know he's too old but let him have the movie I love it that they actually wanted to use the same person yeah a lot of the times they won't do that they'll cast a name for the movie and to let him re- reprise his role I think that's great so yeah. that's my aside for that well it was a, it was an interesting aside thank you yeah. another casting choice Lucy Arnaz supposedly was the first choice for Rizzo oh. but supposedly one source said that Lucille Ball would not let her audition because she thought the role was a little too edgy. Mm. Now, a different article, Vanity Fair, just made it sound like Stalker Channing had stolen it. Like it, oh. like it really was just a matter of she won the audition. Uh-huh. Now, a different note was that four of the Grease film actors had also appeared in the Broadway production. Jeff Conway was one of them, right? He was. Do you mm-hmm. remember who he played? Wasn't he Kanicki? No, he was actually Danny. He was Danny. He got to play Danny on oh, Broadway. Oh, yeah. I thought he was Kanicki. And then when he moved over, Danny got his song, which they said kind of upset Jeff Conway. Well, or was I hearing it wrong? John Travolta stole that song. Yeah. It was supposed to be Kanicki's song. Be Jeff Conway was supposed to sing it. Oh. John Travolta advocated for it because he liked the song. And I saw in a couple different sources that they felt like they had to ask Jeff Conway's permission and that at first he wasn't, wasn't cool with he it. He was not cool with it. And ultimately, he let it happen. Mm. But I have a quote that'll come up here in a minute when I can find it. But it, John Travolta admitted like he went for it mm. hard. Mm. Yeah. Well, who were the other ones from Broadway? John Travolta had played Duty, Duty. on Broadway. Yeah. Barry Pearl, whose Duty in the movie was actually Sonny on Broadway. Okay. And Jamie Donnelly, who is Jan in the movie, was also Jan on Broadway. Okay. So she got to play the same role. And one last just an interesting little tidbit. In the movie, there's the part where they're in the diner and they're watching. There's one diner waitress who says, oh, there's Danny and Sandy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know who it was? No, who was it? John Travolta's sister, Ellen. Oh, that is cute. They gave her a single line. Isn't that cute that they put her in the movie? That's very nice. Yeah. Give her a lot of uh, royalties too. Residuals. Right. John's (laughs) taking care of his sister. My gift to you. Yes. (laughs) So those are all the casting notes that I had. Well, did you have a list of any of the cameos? I didn't, but do you have that? Tell us. I have a few of them. Yes. So Sid Caesar was Mm -hmm. the coach. Yep. And he had the Sid Caesar's hour. And if if you've seen our Dick Van Dyke episode, you know that Carl Reiner wrote the Dick Van Dyke show based on his time working on the Sid Caesar comedy Nice, hour. nice yeah. callback. Thank you. And oh, can I also jump yeah. in and say, he also has one of my favorite lines. We're going to ring the victory bell. <laughs> Just like we've always, always wanted, wanted to. to. <laughs> yes. I love and that. And they show it and it's all dusty. <laughs> 
Eve Arden is the principal, and she was probably best known for the TV show Our Miss Brooks. Mm. And I cannot, I don't know if her assistant principal or, or the secretary or whoever she is, is a classic movie star or not, but I just adore that woman. She's adorable. She's so cute. She was cute. so funny. She's so cute. And then Joan Blondell was one of the other waitresses uh, that talks to Frenchie. Oh, she was like the wise Yes. What do you think woman. of waitressing? You're not old enough to know what I think <laughs> yeah. of waitressing. Um, she was a classic movie star who actually unfortunately died the year after this was released. Well, that's sad. She was in her young, young 70s. Uh, Shanana was mm-hmm. the uh, band. Which so those gave them a, a jump start, didn't yeah. it? Like they got a lot of exposure after that. I think that. so. But that's just a few of the ones I wrote down. Awesome. I'm sure there's more. That's the ones I caught. Oh, and Lorenzo Lamas. Oh, yeah. He played the, the dumb jock boyfriend. <laughs> And they made him dye his hair because he was very tall and they thought if he kept his dark hair and he had that height and that build that he might appear like one of the T-Birds and they Uh, needed to distinguish him from... He did a great job. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Yeah, it was. Well, so before we move to some other interesting bits of trivia or tidbits about the movie, why don't we take a short break? Let's do it. This is Joshua Reith. I'm the web developer for the Scandal Water podcast. I've known Ashley and Candy for quite a while. When they approached me about a website, I knew I couldn't pass up on the opportunity to work with these two amazing ladies. It was exciting to get their website up and running from the homepage to the bio. If you're looking for a website, feel free to contact me at joshuareith.com. That's Joshua, R-I-E-T-H dot com. Hope to hear from you soon to make your online presence a reality. Well, during the break, I found that quote from John Travolta that we referenced earlier about the song Grease Lightning. At some point when he was being interviewed, he admitted, here's, here's the word straight from his mouth. I have to be completely honest with you. I wanted the number. And because I had clout, I could get the number, mm. which is sad. But he had just come out of Saturday Night Fever. He was on top. I wonder if that's why at the end of Summer Lovin', he kind of struck that Saturday Night Fever pose. You know, he put his hand way up in the air. Kind which of is, reminiscent. Yeah, yeah, super doesn't fit. But I thought, oh, that's probably for Saturday Night yeah. Fever. That's like, you remember me? Although it's interesting because I can't even remember the source that this came from. But somewhere in my research, there was a quote from somebody in the cast who said that he was actually delightful to be around. John? Yes, that he was upbeat and he was positive and they just really enjoyed being with him. That's good. And that he was pretty humble because they said that it was while they were together that he somehow had the preview of Saturday Night Fever and he asked his castmates to watch it and to tell him like is this okay like Aww. do you think it's you think it's okay yeah and they were all like this is amazing yeah. <laughs> you know this is great yeah. you're, you're, you're gonna good. be you're gonna be you're okay good. John. yeah so i i can't remember the source don't hold me to that but i'm pretty sure i read that all right well moving on to other pieces of trivia so Danny's windbreaker at the beginning of the movie was a nod to James Dean's character in Rebel Without a Cause. Oh, did interesting. You know I did not. Yeah. This is a fun one. Frankie Avalon was the one who played that kind Teen of- angel. Yes, that angel character when they did the beauty school dropout number with the delightful Dee Dee Khan and oh, her pink hair. Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> she's amazing. And the way she looks at Frankie Avalon is the way I would look at Frankie Avalon if he was inches away from my face. I do not believe she was acting. I think is he I even, a crush? Oh, yes. Oh, huge. Okay. I watched all of the beach blanket movies. Really? With Frankie and Annette. Yes. My mom used to show that to us, and we used to watch it in the winter because it was cold. So you'd watch the beach movies. Oh, huge, 
huge crush. I thought he looked pretty good in the movie. He looks amazing. Yeah. Well, he has a fear of heights. Did you oh, know that? Oh, no. So when he's on those steps, I bet he was freaking out. He didn't like it. I saw him look down when he yeah. was walking. Yeah. He almost, he tried to get out of it. He <laughs> almost nixed the whole thing. He literally told the director after the second take, you got to cut this. I can't do this. And what ended up happening, for those of you who haven't seen the movie or it's been a while, it's because he's coming down these steps and there's no railings. No and it's And it's high. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to be like looking at the girls and singing to the girls. So he's He's like, you know, he's got a lot going on in his mind with other than paying attention to his footing, right. you know, he's performing. So they finally put mattresses around the sides to make him feel okay in oh. case he were to take a tumble. I thought that was pretty interesting. Okay. Talk about using your clout. I am Frankie Avalon. Get me some mattresses. Get me some mattresses or I'm not doing this. <laughs> yeah. And he probably had a good reason to be leery because back to Grease Lightning, poor old Jeff Conaway. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? They said that something I read or saw said that they dropped him and he hurt his back and it led to his opioid addiction that eventually killed him prematurely like not not being on the drugs but that complications from a back injury just yeah i did not see anything about getting dropped what i yeah. s- and maybe i don't know the details so maybe that's accurate what i saw was that just that he injured his back while yeah. he was dancing on top of the car yeah. doing that number and just like you said yes that's what led to him developing this addiction to painkiller medications mm-hmm. and it did really affected his life yeah. in fact a side note is that not long after the movie, I believe it was uh, 1980, I have it, 1980 to 1985, he was actually married to Olivia Newton-John's sister, Rona Newton-John, but they ended their relationship and it was kind of blamed on his substance abuse. Mm, That's so sad. Yeah. Another little piece of trivia, a little happier. They filmed You're the One That I Want when a traveling carnival was in town. Oh, perfect. Just for that day. So they took advantage of it. And then after the carnival left, they had to go back and try to recreate parts of it so that they could do some of their close-up shots. Mm -hmm. Also, we've all heard this story. Olivia Newton-John really was sewn into the pants that she wore in that scene. She looks amazing. Doesn't she? The the zipper broke and they were also super, super tight. So they just sewed her right into them. And a fun little fact is back in 2019, she did an auction and she auctioned off more than 500 items from across the span of her career and included in the auction were that same pair of pants and the leather jacket that she wore as Sandy, you know, in that scene. As cool Sandy. Mm, cool Sandy. And the funds were to go to her cancer wellness center in Australia. That pair of pants and jacket brought in $405,700. And as I recall, I think it was the billionaire who's behind like the Spanx uh, franchise. Bought it. I was going to say, did John Travolta it. buy it? Because he liked her in those pants. <laughs> you could see by his face, he was appreciating <laughs> Olivia Newton-John. So one last little piece of trivia, the famous national bandstand scene. Looks so fun, looks so energetic, torturous to film apparently. Really? Yeah. Took five days. They were inside an actual high school gymnasium with closed windows, which was oh, part of like the filming. so hot brutally hot brutally hot they said that michael tucci who played the t-bird sunny fainted and had to be taken to the er and dd khan had a quote where she talked about how we were all dying i think she said as i recall that her birthday happened during that week and her birthday cake was like melting (laughs) (laughs) so it was like miserable i did see where dinah manoff who is marty was could not dance yes so that's why she got put over to the side with uh vince fontaine which maybe she was supposed to anyway but she did not have to dance 
Right. It was, she just couldn't. When I had saw that, I saw the same piece of trivia and I'm doing, tried to do a rewatch of Grease, even though I'd seen it a million times. Mm-hmm. And I then noticed it during the beauty school drop-off scene that she didn't have to do a lot. No. <laughs> and I saw that her hands were sort of one way and the, everybody, her hands were like flat and everybody else's are like, and you could see at some point she's like looking off. Right. <laughs> to see if she's doing it correctly. Which I thought, I thought was adorable. I thought she was super cute in that. She is cute. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about after the movie came out, what were some of the after effects? Well, first of all, the songs Grease and You're the One That I Want became number one singles, hugely popular. And the whole movie was hugely popular, became the highest grossing musical film ever at that time. Its soundtrack album ended 1978 as the second best-selling album of the year in the U.S., only behind Saturday Night Fever. Wow. So John Travolta was having he a was really on, good year. He was on the top of the world. <laughs> yep. And they did earn an Oscar nomination for Hopelessly Devoted to You. And then, because it was so successful, Paramount immediately decided we're going to have a Grease 2, but they were going to actually have several more, but because Grease 2 flopped and yeah. they just changed their plans. Michelle Pfeiffer was in Grease 2. She was. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who the fellow was, though. Mm, don't know. Didn't do so well. Yeah. More recently, in 2020, Grease was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Interesting. Aesthetically significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, they got the that or in there. So I guess it's one or the other. <laughs> you <laughs> can't be, be all three. one of those. You can't be Didn't all three. Didn't have to be. Yeah. Armchair psychologist. So for our armchair today, actually, yes. I'm going to throw a hard one at you. We've just talked about all the fun, interesting, you know, information behind Greece and also how incredibly popular it was. Mm-hmm. But I know we've both heard over the years that it's taken criticism. It's There's some controversy around it. You know, Marie Osmond immediately turned it down because yeah. she didn't like the message. Right. But it seemed like, and I'm, I'm overgeneralizing, so you know, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like it was just hugely popular for a long time. And it's been in the more recent years, maybe the last decade or two, that people have started to kind of point out some problems they have yeah. with biases or in particular this idea of Sandy changing for to Danny. get a guy. Mm-hmm. Right. So what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I'll say that the reason I think one of the reasons I think the film succeeded is on the shoulders of Sandy and Danny, Mm -hmm. because I think that their affection for each other was so genuine Mm -hmm. and so pure. And I think that Greece is also a product of its time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the controversy is we look at it as we just, you talked about on the bus, you know, you see it as a kid and you don't catch all of the references. But as you get older, you go back and watch it and go, oh, this is probably not something I should have seen as a child, but she didn't really understand it as a child. Children today might understand it. We didn't back then. But I feel like, like, for example, when our local high school did it, the only way that the principal would allow them to perform it is if the director stood in front of the audience every night and said this high school does not condone the behavior that goes on in this play had to have a disclaimer he had to have a disclaimer yeah in order to be able to perform it but i feel like if you sanitize it too much or if you take away too much of it then you've just taken away that time in history that's what i assume i assume they wrote what it was like in Mm -hmm. that time period and if that's what the kids really acted like and if that's what they were really like we may not like it that they were like that but they were 
Mm-hmm. So if you say, well, we can't perform this or we have to edit out the things that made it offensive, it's offensive to us today because we've learned and we've grown. But mm-hmm. if you take that out, then how do you learn from what went before? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like right. you see where they messed up and you go, oh, okay, you were a product of your time. I don't like that you thought this way, but I see why you thought that way. Right. Yeah. I think I think the thought I'm having kind of actually piggybacks on that a bit. Mm-hmm. We'll see if it actually makes sense. But I think the entertainment aspect of the movie is what appealed to me mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. It was just so fun and the mm-hmm. music is just so catchy and, and the characters, you did see the heart mm-hmm. beneath them. Like, you know, John Travolta, you saw his tough guy persona, but you saw his heart under there. Right. And that's as what you I said. meant. Yeah, that's what I was meaning when I was talking about their their performances because there was so much nuance when he is forced by Rizzo to be mean to Sandy. I mean, when he mm-hmm. first sees her, it is his face lights up and he's like, Sandy? Mm-hmm. And he acts like the real him. Mm-hmm. And then when he's caught by his friends, he has to pretend to be someone he isn't. And he actually does go to her and apologize and say, look, that wasn't me. I've got this image mm-hmm. I have to uphold. And that's the saddest part to me is that kids feel like they have an image that they have to uphold. Mm-hmm. And they can't just be their sweet selves. And he goes out and he joins track and he finds something that he's good at. And yeah, I don't like the end where he just has done this work on himself. And just because she's now decided to be cool and hot, he throws away the Letterman jacket. Like he just threw away that part of himself that he was trying to to, you know, expand mm-hmm. and grow. Right. And I hate that she had to feel like she had to become bad. She could have just been... Not necessarily bad, but different than what yeah. she was. Different like a different person. Was. Yeah, yeah. you don't have to do that. She shouldn't have to change for him. If she wants to change for herself, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But not for him. Yeah. Because, especially if it's not her. Mm-hmm. Now she's just doing the same thing. She's just putting on an image. Yeah. And I, that, that's where I was actually headed was for the longest time, I think I just kind of took it at surface level and I was just like, this is just so fun yeah. and I just love this and it makes me feel good and boy is she pretty you know I mean you know mm-hmm. all those things and it was when I when I got older that I went back and went oh gosh really if you want to like think about the messages yeah. that we're sending here he's pretty mean to her just to impress his friends mm-hmm. that's not cool mm-hmm. and and again as you just said and should she have to change who she is for him I mean as you know if that's her choice if she wants to expand and be different great but so I, I did you know question things as a an adult who was looking more deeply at it than I did when for many, many viewings, yeah. <laughs> you know, in my past. But but I still think it's it's kind of where you're coming from. I think you make a point. It's like sometimes you have a different purpose for watching something. Sometimes it's just enjoyment. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is learning from something. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's making you think, you mm-hmm. know, and and we do grow and, and expand in mm-hmm. our understanding of issues and, and all those things. Something I thought was also interesting, and I haven't developed this further other than the words are coming out of my mouth as I'm saying them, yeah. is when I was listening to her sing Rizzo, sing, look at me, I'm Sandra D. Mm-hmm. And the song is about purity and she's mocking Sandy because she's this kind, pure, good, mm-hmm. quote unquote, girl. And the people that she's mentioning, Sandra D, Doris Day, had those images of purity and goodness, but in reality were very complex women who were, in, in Sandra D's case, she was sexually molested by her stepfather oh, when she I was a child. Yeah. So we see her as this pure, perfect girl, but she had so much trauma. She she had anorexia. She, she struggled with alcoholism. There was all of this stuff in her life. And then Doris Day had 
a husband that stole a lot of her money and her, she, she just had multiple issues as well, but they still put on this sunny persona. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what my conclusion is from it, but I just found it interesting that here Rizzo is making fun of Sandy because, oh, she's just like all these pure girls when those pure girls also had deep complex issues. Mm -hmm. And you know, our Sandy did too. She had deep complex issues of who do I want to be? What I want to do with my life. And I just found that interesting that the people they singled out were not what they perceived themselves to be. And maybe that's why they picked them because also Sandy is not who she perceives herself to be. That's interesting because I think I I like your point that they're more than the stereotypes. Mm -hmm. You know, every individual, you know, Mm -hmm. has so much complexity and so much going on. And maybe in a way that's what Greece is kind of celebrating though. Mm -hmm. Like maybe they're trying to actually kind of live in these stereotypes versus going down deep. You know, that might be their point is trying to keep it like this fun, rollicking kind of more surface level, simple romance situation versus really trying to take it that deep. Right, right. And can I just say, I thought Frenchie was a really good friend to Sandy. She was. I really liked her. (laughs) I did too. I fan club for Frenchie. I just think she's a good, (laughs) sweet character who's always looking out for Sandy and took her in and wanted to be her friend. And Mm -hmm. I I just like Welcoming. Welcoming to her. Yes, to somebody who was who had Frenchie had a lot of stuff going on in her life too, you know? Yeah. All of them did. That's what I think was interesting. They were all very complex people and... I call it eye acting. I thought the eye acting was very strong where they say things without saying anything. Mm. So when Rizzo sneaks out of the room, out of the slumber party, and she goes down to the to the boys and she's mm-hmm. talking to them and the looks between her and Danny. Yeah. You know that... Oh, there was so much between her there and was Danny a lot that of was never said. And he's mad at her for what she made him do. But you also get the opinion that... Or you get the feeling that maybe they dated at one time. Oh, for sure. And it did not end well. And Rizzo was just getting back at him. Yeah. It was just interesting. They were... They acted it very, very well. Yeah. Well, I thought this might make a nice little closing quote. Here's the situation. Collider published an article on July 2nd of this year, and it was titled The 10 Most Popular Movie Soundtracks of All Time Ranked by Total Sales. And when I looked at that, the 1978 Grease movie soundtrack was one of the top 10. In fact, it was top five. It had 28 million copies sold. And when I opened the little overview of Grease, here's what it said in that article. Grease has flaws, but it is one of the most famous film musicals of all time. There are very dated aspects to its romance, plotline, and depiction of American teenagers, but the music and nostalgic qualities endure in pop culture, even somewhat ironically. It means that Greece is revered and celebrated, warts and all, with the catchy, aggressively memorable songs playing a significant role in that, making its soundtrack an unsurprising hit. When it was made in the 1970s, it was a nostalgic depiction of the 1950s, And now it serves as something with both 1950s nostalgia and 1970s nostalgia, mm-hmm. thanks to the time it was made in. So I really like how they said, it's mm-hmm. got its problems, yeah. times have changed, yeah. but it still has qualities that endure. Yeah, I think that's well said. So who are we going to cheers, Ashley? I say John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, because I think the success of Grease is based on their relationship. I was convinced when I was younger that they were actually deeply in love. <laughs> I was. So I got to cheers the two of them. Cheers. 
If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can Join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandalwater theme and other music, Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandalwater are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.